You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Locum Associate Minister, Megan Curlis-Gibson. Well, uh, just to say before we begin, uh, I was um, praying before the service and my sense was that as we grapple with some things that aren't always easy, when we're grappling with them together, we'll be uh, actually strengthening uh, this place, this community, and uh, this is a really good thing. And when you go through a whole book of the Bible, you, um, you force yourself to deal with some of the passages that aren't always as inspiring or perhaps that are a little bit more weighty. And that's what we're doing today. But uh, the, what I wanted to say as we begin uh, is that this passage that you're going to hear has a context. My context right now is that um, uh, my daughter had uh, one of her three um, eight-year-old birthday parties last night and uh, there was so much screaming. It was, there weren't even that many kids. It was like, I don't know, nine kids and so much screaming. Uh, And Phil and I were screaming, but in a different way. Um, So this is where I'm at, having had that, come today But I feel that in the excitement of that party, there is a sense in which the context of our passage is that. The message of the gospel in the first century was so exciting that it was just kind of scream, run around, it was freeing. People would say about the church in, in a kind of, um, in a negative way, oh, it's a group for slaves and widows and children. And the reason that they could say that, it was such a barrier-breaking uh, message that those from every background, any background, socioeconomic, gender, nationality, felt welcomed, and not only welcomed, but part of this amazing new community to the point where the message was that the Spirit was being poured out on sons and daughters, that there was no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, all were one in Christ Jesus. And this was so exciting. This was run around screaming, have a glitter cannon, you know, party popper, sparklers. This is exciting stuff. So exciting that it could have led to some seriously crazy living. And so when we come to this passage, that is our first and foremost context. That these people had amazing freedom in Christ and they had an identity as God's chosen people, loved by God, treasured by God, royalty that had just broken through any barriers that they'd previously thought about life and they were very excited and so here we come to today's reading thanks Lenny okay so my name's Lenny and I'm going to read the bible for us so the passage is um, 
just up there. So it's 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 13, and then over to chapter 3 to verse 7. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of an unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not re retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if in any of them who do not believe the word, they might be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not be come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, you wouldn't be uh, alone if you felt uh, a significant contrast between the introduction that I gave and the passage that you just heard. And you wouldn't be alone if you uh, actually could hardly remember anything else except for the word submission. 
in our society, the word submission, um, very similar to how it was used back then. Uh, back then, hupotasso was the Greek word, and it meant living under the order. This is living under the authority of uh, someone or something that has been set above you. How on earth <laughs> do we move from a context of people who are so excited and so deeply free into um, quite a structured, what is known as a household code, talking about submitting to not simply good authority, but difficult authority? Is this something that just kind of comes out of the blue, or is that message of freedom and identity still there? That's our first question. And if we were to have the passage in front of us, we would see that um, the message that we still have only one Lord, even in the midst of this call to submission, we only fear God alone. Do you know the emperor asked to be worshipped, feared, loved? None of that here. We worship only God. And if, as you go through the passage, who's in charge? It's God. It's the, for the Lord's sake that you do this. It's God's will. You're to live as free people, but you're God's slaves. Fear God, live in reverent fear of God, and do not give way to fear, he says to the wives. And that's um, fear of people. Don't give way to uh, the fear of uh, others that actually are not in charge. We have one Lord, and it's God. And in case you didn't think that this passage was subversive, which, uh, again, you'd be forgiven. It looks pretty conservative. You're like, oh, this, this is exciting. Party poppers, glitter, screaming. And now we've just joined some club. Like, I don't, I, I'm not going to say anything about politics. But it's some club at, at uni where it's like, how can we be the most conservative? And yet we have this key verse in 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's actually a bomb. Like, yes, you ought to honor the emperor, but don't think that the things that, that he or others are saying about you carry any weight. This is ignorant talk by foolish people. We've already seen those who are opposed to the Christians to whom Peter is writing have been described as those who are stumbling over the cornerstone in um, chapter 2. And in the next passage that we have a look at next week or the week after, we'll see that these people are going to be called to account by God for their reckless living and detestable idolatry. These are not people, in many ways, who are to be respected because they are worthy. And this could lead us to being a little like, uh, well, at my work, 
uh, we get all the newspapers, the Australian, the Age and the Herald Sun, and uh, they get put on the tables in the staff room and uh, invariably the Herald Sun finds the worst picture of our Premier Daniel Andrews. The worst. Like, it's only because of the Herald Sun that I know he has rather sticky out ears. You don't see them so much in that picture there, but always. And, and in the similar way in the US press, you know, you can always find a bad picture of Sarah Huckleby Sanders or of, obviously, uh, the president. Uh, I made this slide a couple of days ago. It's already out of date, so I apologize for that. <laughs> Can't use it again, probably, even after <laughs> next month. Our temptation, being people who are not under the, the world's authority, being people who see that the words that are spoken against us actually are baseless and in some ways very foolish. Our temptation is to live with disrespect, and that's pretty easy, and it's super easy for Australians to look at our leaders and go, oh, they're just ridiculous. And yet, throughout this whole passage, we are called to live with respect and honour and submission. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. Slaves, submit to your masters. Wives, in the same way, referring back to that original verb, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Husbands, in the same way, probably referring back there as well. Treat your wives with respect. Strangely enough, for those who are deeply free, who could be running around screaming, we are called to give due respect. And Peter gives us some reasons. The first reason comes from a, a deep theological commitment that ordered society is good for human beings. And so when there are leaders who order society, whether or not they believe in Christ, they are part of God's good plan for human beings. So civil authorities generally serve the purpose of maintaining an ordered society. Law, order, punishment, reward, moral standards to a point, safety particularly. Kirk talked to us about, you know, you want people on the road to be not driving like in that video, but adhering to the rules, respecting the rules. Useful social structures. These things, Peter says, did I say Paul before? Anyway, he probably would have agreed. But Peter says, he did, that's right, another one. Um, Peter says these, these things are good for us. And even though you are a free person who is only under the lordship of God, of Christ, um, it's, it's God's will that you enjoy the order and the safety that these things bring. But secondly, and this is kind of what comes of the rest of the passage, it's good for mission. Being a law-abiding and good citizen commends our religion to outsiders. And at the very least, it reduces the excuses that people have for rejecting Christianity. 
So you and I know that when a Christian is found out to have been doing something illegal or immoral or just responds on Twitter in an aggressive or abusive or disgusting way to someone who said something against Christianity, that just, that just completely justifies the person who is opposing Christianity. I say, well, look, you claim to and yet you wrongdoing even for those who are only under God's law actually turns people away from God and you and I know that in this day and age more than anyone and so we think to ourselves well this is not separate from the whole message of 1 Peter How do we live as elect exiles without separating ourselves, without assimilating ourselves like like Sam talked about? Well, that path of proclamation, if you don't have a chance to actually speak it, is about living with missional respect, despite being people not under the world's authority. Living with missional respect. Then Peter moves into some individual circumstances. And he addresses slaves to begin with. And and I think it's for a couple of reasons. First of all, like I said, there were actually a significant number of slaves in the early church. So the message of Christ, because suddenly it was this kind of great leveller, you didn't have to be the high and mighty. You didn't even have to be free. Christ said, come to me. And so they did. And so when you have a significant number of slaves in your congregation and you are speaking a message of freedom, there is a disconnect for them. And this is a a message that conveys upon them significant dignity in their state in life they really could not leave that slavery they were either sold into it they sold themselves into it to pay for a debt they were born into it their parents were slaves it wasn't good it wasn't easy it could be violent and it was possible to get your freedom but it took resources and uh, patrons connections people you knew And so to speak to these amongst the number of Christians and to say, I've just called you to live free, but as God's slaves, hey, you guys out of anyone can do this in a really special way. Firstly, slaves are to do good, even if they're treated badly. And this will commend their faith to their non-Christian master, just as we spoke about before but it also commends their character to God, its mission and its worship. And the slave, talk about reframing the most horrendous situation, can powerfully choose to bear up under suffering and in so doing experience this new dignity and spiritual growth because they're freely identifying with Christ. 
They're following his example out of anyone. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to be a slave in the, ch- in, in the church and to realise that you of all people, the lowest of the low, could actually exemplify in your behaviour and because of your station uh, Christ's work for the world. So powerful, so freeing. Christ did not retaliate when suffering unjustly. Slaves also could exemplify that. But despite uh, their being in reality only slaves of God, the temptation to rebel would still be very strong. And so they are to reject rebellious behaviour on earth. They're to die to sin. That's why we have that amazing um, couple of verses that we sometimes use in our communion liturgy or um, when we talk about confessing our sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is not just something that sounds amazing and beautiful and describes Jesus. This has a context in the same way as this larger passage has a context. The context of this is Christ enables you to live beautifully in the most difficult circumstances he can heal you of that pain that wants to just buck against it all and actually he is the shepherd the leader of your soul I'm I'm really moved by the fact that Peter speaks to slaves But I want us to remember as we think about this, and perhaps you're already sitting there thinking, my work is tough and I'm not sure I really love this message of, you know, don't buck under unjust authority in my workplace. And, And I think I need to say to all of us, these were slaves, they're not servants, they're not employees, they're not contractors. They couldn't leave. We are not slaves. We commend Christ when we do what the law, when we submit ourselves under the order, when we fulfill our contracts and promises, when we work well, yes, when we respect our bosses, but we hold them to account to the law of the land. We have work work safe. We have uh, situations that need to be brought to light and we are actually submitting to good order in our land when we do that. If we can't leave, there is deep grace and strength and dignity for us and we are not excluded from being missionally useful in that situation. But if we can leave or we have the power to do something about our workplace, then we are fully empowered and justified in doing that. Right. Individual circumstances, wives. In a similar way, um, there were many women in the early church. And it was not, um, it was not common in Roman rule for a woman to have a different religion to her husband. Most often they were taught that you would 
uh, give away whatever allegiances you might have had in your father's house and you would adopt your husband's household gods. And so wives in a setting in the Greco-Roman world were expected to follow the religion of their husband and yet these ones were not. And these ones, even while living under the order, were never told to just jam them in there a little bit. You can have those ones and you can have Jesus as well. You know, just, just make a little space on the household hearth for the Jesus. Your allegiance is still to Christ, wives. And yet, you live with missional respect. Now, there's lots of word on, words on the screen at the moment, and this is a terrible way to use PowerPoint, absolutely terrible. If, you really should only use it for bad pictures of President Trump. But what I wanted to ensure was that we could have access to some of this material later and that you could know that there's a summary of what I'm saying that, uh, you know, even if I kind of waffle around a bit, this is what I mean. <laughs> My summary of what is said to wives is this. Wives are to maintain their cultural position in their marriage, seeking to honour and do good for their husband, even if he is not a Christian. They do not rely on being able to speak or argue with their husband, this perhaps not being safely available to them, about religion, but instead rely on everyday good deeds and character. They do not seek to win over their husbands or society with their looks or sexuality, so gold, jewellery and braided hair at that time, even though it's actually reasonably conservative for us today, was the opposite back then. They commend God's higher and countercultural values by cultivating a beautiful inner self, living with purity and gentleness. Now that is a reasonably soft summary without some of the more uh, triggering, as Kirk said, words in the passage. I didn't uh, use the word quiet there. Um, gentle. And I, I didn't actually use the, the word submit. It doesn't matter though, because in our culture, hearing even that uh, can be deeply painful or it can be heard as placing the church as worthy of one of these, one of these hashtags. And in some ways, the hashtags have, have opened our eyes to things, but perhaps uh, really the message is a lot quieter than that, that wherever we are, there are people who have experienced uh, such marginalisation uh, and abuse and silencing that to hear 
words that would say, do good for your husband, is deeply painful and challenging. We are in our midst those who care for and love and have experienced all of these things. It is us too. And so we start the healing on this passage by remembering firstly these two things. Wives were not considered equal partners in the marriage by law in that time, in the first century. They were not fully protected by law from abuse. We are. And so when we live as people who respect our laws of the land, then we do help others hold an abuser to account. Wives in that setting especially younger ones of lower socioeconomic status, sometimes um, more wealthy women or women with more powerful families could divorce and move on, but especially a lot of the women in, in the churches could rarely survive outside an abusive marriage due to inability to, to access resources. How do you care for your children? How do you care for yourself if you're not under your father or your husband? That is not the case for us today. We can. Now, it is very, very difficult in that setting to feel that you can. And part of the church's role is to say, we will be those resources. We will walk with you. We will help you. These words about living missionally with respect for the laws of the land... They work for you. And your identity as someone who is full of dignity and who is royalty, this works for you in leaving a situation of abuse. Submission to a husband may look exceedingly different and very much ought to in a world like ours. But it may be that the language of submission to a husband only functions in our society in a mutual submission setting. It may be, and I would land here, that we now have followed a trajectory that was set by Jesus Christ to land in equal Relationships, relationships where we submit to and respect one another, but each one holds the same worth and dignity and status as the other. If you uh, look at the material that's in the New Testament, you will see hierarchical marriages, but you will also see the direction of radical equality. You will see Jesus having Mary at his feet as one of the male disciples. You will see Mary Magdalene uh, giving the message of the risen Christ to the rest of the team. 
you'll see Paul listing female leaders and saying women can pray and prophesy in the gathering, which is, uh, you know, quite radical in itself, as they do so under the order of their society with respect. There is a trajectory that lands the no male or female, no Jew or Greek, no slave or free in some new ways of doing relationships. And I think it's entirely appropriate that we would say that Christ intends us to have mutual submission, mutual respect. And I can say that with confidence from this passage. So he ends up speaking to husbands. And if you're speaking about submission, you don't need to speak to husbands. They're at the top of the pile. He's already said, honour the emperor. Yeah, all right, tick the box. But instead, he speaks to husbands. And he says this, and I... It is a summary, but I've done a bit, a reading, and I reckon it's this. The power granted to you by your culture, resources, and your greater physical strength must not lead you to disrespect, dishonour, or overpower your wife in any way. Now, that might seem bread and butter, but that is radical. That's not how we use power. If I can, I, I should. The power granted to you by your culture still might apply today. Resources still very much might apply today. And your physical strength, it definitely applies in my household, but n- not always in others. Must not lead you to disrespect, dishonour or overpower your wife in any way. Or in fact, anyone. <laughs> If your wife is not a Christian, now this is interesting because um, all of these have talked about missional settings. And so um, it was the non-Christian husband, it was the non-Christian slave master, and it could be non-Christian wives spoken about here. Um, it, It could be, there is an argument to that. Bullying or commanding her like a normal Roman husband will not actually win her heart to Christ. Missional respect, consideration and care will commend your faith. And that too is so countercultural because it comes from the way Jesus lived his life. And if she is a Christian, and this is the trajectory, learn from the fact that God sees her as an equal heir, along with you, of the gracious gift of life. I have read the most gut-wrenching interpretations of the scriptures that say that grace flows down from the father and then to the son, to the husband, and then trickles down to the wife. Here, the message is so radical and yet so clear. You are heirs together, men and women, husband and wife, together inheriting the treasures of God, the status from God, the freedom from God. 
or there's plenty that I haven't explained, particularly about Sarah and Abraham and other things. And I would be happy to do that in our question time if that is some of the things that are burning for you. There may be some others. Um, I have got, also got some books and things that I can recommend. But let me leave with this. I'm sorry to get so heavy. I want us to be a community that together is grappling with this, but is seeing in it our identity as free in God, but that we live with deep respect because it confers dignity on other people, it's good, and it commends Christ. You may find that some of the things that we've talked about, even just that, am I free, makes you want to do some work with God. You may find that some of the things I've said have upset you, and I am sorry. But God can do that work with you too. And so you may want to uh, get some prayer ministry during the next couple of songs, or you might want to make a time to do that sort of later in the week or something like that. I believe prayer ministry will be over there. But let me pray for us now. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who calls all people, slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female, into your abundant life. And I want to pray for each and every person here today that you would be, by your Holy Spirit, welling up that abundant life within us. I pray for those who have felt the indignity of being in a setting where they felt no control or power. And I ask that you would confer upon them now a new dignity in you. I pray for those of us who have felt that we wanted to just disrespect and hold with contempt the leaders of this world. Change our hearts, Lord, that we would be like you, loving and serving and doing good and showing respect. And would you win the world, Lord, through our healing and through our mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.